Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. With me in your Bibles, just feels a little, a little uh, heavier this morning. So, it's a people missing. I don't know. Oh, the interns are in the Dream Center. That's what it is. Well, don't let the in they're the interns. Don't let them be the ones that carry the culture. You're meant to be the. Uh, there we go. Now I'm at home. All right, come with me. First Timothy chapter three, and today I'm going to be reading from the translation, the NLT, the nearly, yes, the NLT. Just because I thought, well, you can't always use the translation Jesus used. The NLT. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So the title of my message this morning is Biblical Leadership. Biblical Leadership. Biblical Leadership. This is a trustworthy saying. So this, this is a saying that's, that's, that's trustworthy. You can take this to the bank. If someone aspires to be a leader in the house of God, to be a leader in the church, what they desire is actually an honorable position. I think one of the saddest things is, is having a house or having a church where the people aspire to leave it in order to do something great. Where, where, where people attend a church, but, but there's no inspiration in the church. They, they, they're not aspiring to anything within the house. The house isn't glorious. The house isn't magnificent. The house isn't majestic. The world has all the shiny stuff. The world has. Oh, pastor, you know, I'm believing that I'm going to make it in Hollywood. I believe that I'm going to make it in... Google. I'm going to, no, no, the house of God, man, what did we do? What did we do? Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, Google's not going to last all eternity, but you know what? The church, what we do for Jesus Christ, how, how dare we dumb down the church, weaken the church, minimize the church, downgrade the church. The church is just this. No, no, no. The church is the greatest thing. The Bible says in the last days, in the last days, the, the house of God will be chief among the mountains. You know, and this is kind of, you know, part of why I read the Bible and I just always feel God kind of encouraging me because you get the criticism and oh, it awaken church and look at them. They got all the fancy schmancy buildings and, you know, they got the, their cool logos and had someone criticize our logo and saying, I think that, you know, you may have people in the Illuminati, you know, that are designing your logos and stuff like that. And uh, for real, for real, hilarious. Morgan Irvin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's so it's so so amazing. So so I love this. I love this that 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 never apologize. The church should be the greatest place. 
And if people are aspiring, people should be hoping that, that, you know, they can leave Google and come and work in the house of God. They can leave, you know, the corporate media. They can, they can leave Hollywood and bring, they can join the hero cast or the twisted cast and, and bring their thing to bring souls and people saved. Somebody say amen. So he who aspires to be a church leader desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be, oh, Scam Likely's calling me. He calls every day, that little rascal. Listen, if your last name's Likely, don't call your child Scam. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must, ex- well, you make it easy, cutie. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must. How many people are hearing the word must a lot here? He must enjoy having guests in his home. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him and otherwise, you know, he can get kind of proud and fall into the devil's trap. But I just got six points in five verses. But do you see all the must? I love that I must be about my, you know, must, must, must is a determination. You know, I must, I must be about my father's business. I must be, I must, you know, I, I think, I think it's good for us to realize that, that Paul here is saying, hey, you know, if somebody wants to be a leader, that's an awesome thing, but he must, he must, he must, he must. And notice it says aspires to. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press forward. I press forward. He doesn't say I move forward. I take baby steps. He says, I press forward. John Heinrichs was telling me this morning, the reason he's so ridiculously good looking, when someone calls me John's fat brother, it's a compliment to me. He said, the reason is, is because he bench presses. He says, I bench press. He says, I probably bench press with my little finger what you do with both arms. I said, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, I felt like he was a little bit, but I press. I press. That means that there's some resistance. I press towards the upward call of God that is in, I press towards the prize. I press towards the goal. There should be something in us desiring to be better than I was yesterday. Better, I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better communicator. I want to be a better minister. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a a better, more reliable intercessor. There should be a must. There should be a must driving us. Somebody say amen. amen. So let me give you, let me give you uh, six thoughts. The first one is honorable position. An honorable position. The Bible says he who desires or aspires to be a church leader desires an honorable position. If you look at the word honorable, beautiful Pastor Lisa, you'll see that honorable is made up of two words, honor, able. Honor, able. 
which means to me that's it's not just a word it's a question honor able are you able to honor so watch this it's talking about position and it's talking about aspiring desiring desiring unchecked or unweighted with God can be coveting but let's let's go there let's say you covet like you man I wish I was Pastor Becky Lynn Heinrichs up there on the platform preaching. I wish I was Pastor John. I wish I was Pastor Katie. I wish I was on the platform. I wish I was preaching, leading, ministering. The Bible says that's not a bad thing. It says whoever desires the platform, whoever desires leadership, whoever desires position and influence, it is an honorable thing. It is honor. Are you able to honor the person on the platform? Are you able to honor that position? So think about Lucifer. Lucifer wanted God's position. Isaiah 14, he says, I will ascend to the throne. I will be like the most high. I will sit among the stars. I will lift my throne above. So he, he wanted the position. He desired the position. But you know why he never got there? Because he wasn't able to honor the one in the position. David, David was anointed and appointed by Shmuel, by Samuel, to be king of Israel. Saul was king, and Saul wanted to eliminate competition. He wanted to take out God's anointed. He wanted to take out David. And one day David's in a cave, and Saul comes into that cave having dis kind of dispensed 3,000 assassins throughout the countryside to hunt down David with, with the mission, kill on sight, kill on sight, eliminate on sight. And here's David hiding in the back of a cave and Saul comes in to, to use the bathroom in the cave and his men said to him, oh my gosh, today is the day the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. His back is turned, he's in a vulnerable position, strike him and the throne is yours. It's self-defense. He has got 3,000 men kill on sight, and you can take him, and the word of the prophet can come to pass. And the story goes that David snuck forward and cut out a hem of Saul's garment and then felt so convicted that he followed Saul out of the cave, bowed down on the ground and lifted up the hem and said to Saul, Saul, King Saul, my Lord, King Saul, and he turns around and he says, is that you, my son, David? And he said, this day the Lord delivered you into my hand, but far be it from me that I should strike the Lord's anointed. David was able to, to separate Saul's bad behavior, his non-Christian, his jacked up, insecure, threatened, ego-driven, narcissist. He was able to separate all of that and he was able to honor. He was honor. He was able to honor the very throne that he was going to go on to, that he was going to eventually sit on. If you can't honor a leader, if you can't honor a position, you are disqualifying yourself. God will not elevate you to that. Are you able to honor? Leanne and I have found that that we couldn't stop people from being unjust or having 
injustice kind of come in our direction. But we were in control of how we responded. And what we found is whenever we have experienced injustice, if we turn around and brought honor, it has always elevated. The question with position is not, do you desire or don't you desire? You should be desiring. But when you desire, the devil will come and, if you were in leadership, man, if you well, they just mean, and it's amazing how, and you can get into dishonor where you're gossiping, slandering, coveting, you know, smiling, but then behind their back, not, not helping them out, hoping they fail, hoping they crash and burn. That's a horrible thing. I can't tell you how many times, how many times where the devil would whisper, you know, you could sabotage this in a, a, a movement world, but, or you could say this, or you could uncover this, or you could expose this, or you could, and, uh, and I thought, my God, it's, and I knew it was a test. No, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to, even if I will continue to, to elevate, because if you are able to honor, God will elevate you. Does all that make sense? Commodus became king in Gladiator. He became the king because he murdered Marcus Aurelius. He wasn't able to honor. And then the time for honoring yourself will soon come to an end, Highness. But the man who honored Marcus Aurelius ends up triumphing in the, in the end. There's something about honor. Are you able to honor? Number two, above reproach. Above reproach. Reproach, the, the, the dictionary meaning of reproach is to have valid criticism, moral failings. I, I like this above reproach because I think morality is something that's rarely talked about. It's almost like we've kicked it to the curb, the whole grace message. And we talk, don't talk about living right. I have a gift to preach, I was saying on the weekend, but I don't have a gift to live the gospel. I wish I did. I wish it'd be easy, but I don't. I, I have to resist the same temptations, overcome the same sin, deal with my same transgressions, deal with my same generational curses, deal with the same flesh, the same struggles, have the same eyes, the same heart, the same inclinations as everybody else. I have a gift when I get up to preach the gospel but I, gosh darn it, I don't have a gift to live the gospel. I have to work at it. And what I found is the work is very, very, very easy if every day I'm in his word. And if every day I just get the, those little alignments. If you ever look at somebody driving on, you can be on a straight road, but you're still going to do this. Sometimes it can be just the wheels on the car, you know, kind of drift or whatever. But you, you, you're always just doing these, these little adjustments. I found that, you know. If you've got to do the big adjustments, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but, but you're better off just daily little adjustments, daily being in the Word, daily being in prayer. I find myself discombobulated if I'm not daily, and it's amazing how many times I get a, you know, a, a morality check, just thoughts. And I thought, wow, yeah, it was just a thought. And then the Holy Ghost like, man, do you want the harvest of that? Oh, shoot, no, I better just... I better go into the garden and do some weeding. Just, just that daily thing. But above reproach. Above reproach. You know, Jesus spoke about two men. He's a wise man and a foolish man. And he says, 
you know, wise man builds his house on the rock. The rain comes down, the flood comes up, the wind blows, but the house stands. The fool builds his house on the sand. It's, it's the same house, probably built with the same materials, Pastor Mike. The rain comes down, same rain, same flood, same wind, but the house crashes. One was the rock, one was the sand. And a lot of people will say, well, Jesus is the rock. And yes, we know Jesus is the rock. But in this story, Jesus doesn't make himself the rock. He says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and applies them to his life, he's like a wise man building his house on the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and doesn't apply them to his life, he's like a foolish man. One of the saddest things is that... It, you can get a revelation to preach the message, but you don't necessarily have to be living it. I remember years ago, God, God told me, he says, I want you to stop practicing what you preach. And I'm like, that's the devil. I refuse to be a hypocrite. I'm going to always practice what I preach. And I felt the Holy Ghost a second time. I want you to quit practicing what you preach. And I'm like, God, well, hang on. What, what, what are you saying? He says, I, I want you to preach what you practice. He says, don't play catch up. No, no, no. When I, when I give you a revelation, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to preach this Sunday. And God's like, no, 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 what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to, oh man, I'm going to. He's like, I didn't give it for, to you for them. I gave it to you, for you, because you're the one that's jacked up. Well, they're jacked up too. He's like, exactly. So first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly how to help your brother remove their specks from their eyes. In other words, the word has to first work in you. If you see how difficult it is to dislodge the plank and dislodge this issue and forgive, you know, a father or forgive a mother or walk through this. Or when you first apply it to your life, all of a sudden now when you get up, you'll have a grace to preach to other people. Go, man, I know this isn't easy. Let me tell you what I had to do. And when you say that, when you talk about, they say if you'll speak on your weaknesses, you'll never run out of material. If you'll speak on all your weaknesses and struggles, you'll never run out of content to preach on on a Sunday. And, but you will find that when you speak like that, it is seasoned with grace. Pastor Leanne has a wonderful metric. When she hears a preacher, I'll go, oh, babe, oh, darling, that revelation. Oh, my gosh, that insight. Wow. And Lynn goes, yeah, no. They didn't tell on themselves enough. And, I'm, and I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right. It was all about you, 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 and you, 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 you. Where's the, and let me just tell you what I had to walk through and what I, there's something very, very powerful in not just being hearers of the word, but let that word come to you first. And then out of that, you'll find number three, faithful to his wife. Faithful to his wife. I, I'm glad I got an amen from my beautiful Leanne on that one before. He must be faithful to his wife. Many years ago, God, I, I literally saw God with angels with measuring reeds, measuring me. And I said, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on? Like, am I getting a new suit? I'm like, where this is going? Am I, is there a new mantle coming? And he's like, no, no. I'm watching to see how you treat your bride to determine how much of my bride I give you. How much of my bride I can trust you with. Because if you can't be trustworthy with your bride, you won't be trustworthy with my bride. I'm looking at how you lead her. Now, can I just tell you that, that 
if you raise children, always giving them what they want. If you think that raising children is when they want candy, you give them candy. If they want to stay up till midnight, you, you let them stay up till midnight. If they, you know, whine at the checkout, you give them whatever they want. That's, that's not good leadership. And it's the same with the bride. The only thing is with the bride, it'll cost you. Because if you have to lead your bride and push back on your bride and say, no, you may be sleeping alone in the cabana. Yeah. And if you're like me, you don't have a cabana. Yeah. Hey, look at the hell. I can't even wear John's cabana boy shirt. So leading your wife will cost you. It may, it may be two or three days of awkward silence. But I found that, that my responsibility is I have to lead my bride. And so I have to find out a way. And she is much more delicate than, than me. In the early years, I would think, well, you know, this is how I would appreciate someone censoring me or somebody rebuking me or somebody challenging me. You can't, you can't do that. She, she processes emotionally her heart is more vulnerable. She gives herself to you. So I had to find, I have to find a way where I can deliver truth, but in the most gentle way. And the only reason I'm delivering that truth is because there's a ceiling. She can't keep operating like this because it's going to put a limit over her life. So I had to learn how to lead her. And as I learned how to lead her, all of a sudden I began to find that it wasn't that my preaching anointing or gifting changed. It's just I found a different way to minister where I could speak the truth in love because I learned it at home with my bride to love her, to love her. You know, I, for, I still think one of the, the greatest breakthrough moments for me was when uh, Pastor Keith Kraft at the first time we had him speak at our Emerge Men's Conference gave every man homework to go home get on one knee, take his wife by the hand, look her in the eyes and ask her this question. Do you feel deeply loved by me? Not do you know I love you? Not do you believe I love you? Do you feel deeply loved? It's about an hour and 10, Pastor Becky, from Campo to our house. My phone, zzz, 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 the whole way. My phone, I can't do it. I pulled over. I'm a mess, Pastor. You've got to pray for me. I'm at a gas station. I don't want to go home. Do we have to do it? I'm not doing it. I know what she's going to, like, it was the whole way. And then I, I, I walk in, and I'm, like, shaking. I'm, like, nervous. And I'm, like, shoot. I remember getting down on one knee. I'm, like, babe, I've got some homework. She's, like, what's going on? What's going on? I said, babe. Sit down in the chair. I've got, I've got to do this. And I got down on one knee and I grabbed her by the hand. I said, babe, do you, my heart was pounding in my chest. Do you feel deeply loved by me? And Leanne said, yes, but I don't feel honored. I don't feel honored. Man, it was a kick in them. But I thought, how good, how good. That's, that's, that's a great posture. That's a great goal. That's a great, the Bible says, husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives. And we're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Box checked. Yeah, I love her. I told her on our wedding day. And if I change my mind, I'll let her know. <laughs> Husbands love your wives. I mean, come on. Pastor Mike will tell you that you have metrics. If you talk to Pastor Lance, who 
designs and writes programs, he'll tell you there's, there's metrics. So how do you know if you, you got to ask, you got to check in every now and again. Do you feel nothing will kick your backside like do you feel deeply loved developer, developer? You know, I was dealing with a situation where there was a pastor in another city. And it was, it was remarkable as I sat with his family. They do one service a week. And as I sat with the family, the family who were all in positions of ministry were broken, wounded, dysfunctional. And I'm like, you have one. I don't know what the hell you do the rest of the week. You do one service a week. And I'm talking to your leadership team, which is also your family, broken, tears, dysfunction, wounded. Like if you can't bring healing to your family, how are you going to bring healing to the city? If you can't bring restoration and breakthrough, if you can't minister here, how are you going to minister out there? Number four, live wisely. Live wisely. Must be full of wisdom. Must have wisdom. Must deal wisely. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. The Bible says above all you're asking, if you're going to ask for anything, ask for wisdom. The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Can I just tell you, the wise man lacks wisdom. The fool thinks he abounds in it. A wise man seeks to be wiser. A fool says, I got this. Hold my beer. <laughs> Do you know how many people are, have been in hospital because they said, hold my beer? Yeah. Exactly. Nothing ever good follows. Hold my beer. Yeah. Live wisely. Wisdom is recognizing that you need wisdom. The Bible says, above all your, all your prayers, all your requests, ask for wisdom. And then with wisdom, knowledge, and with knowledge, understanding. If you, have, if you have wisdom, the Bible says, wisdom. By me, kings reign, princes rule, people govern, nobles, exaltation, riches, wealth, honor are in her right hand. There's something about wisdom. And wisdom is a spirit. Wisdom is a spirit. I can't tell you how... When I began to pray for wisdom, and, and I've determined for the rest of my life, I am in need of wisdom. My number one prayer is, God, give me wisdom. My second prayer is, God, give me the courage to do what wisdom tells me. Because quite often, wisdom will say, yeah, okay, you need to do this. I'm like, la, 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 I wish I didn't ask. You know, and so second prayer is, God, give me the courage to do what wisdom tell, tells you. But, you know, the Bible says this. The faithful will abound in blessing. The faithful will abound in blessing. Let, let me just kind of zero in on something. This, this, this is going to make sense of how you see sometimes, man, I don't understand. How could that person and yet, and how can they be so successful? And then over here, the faithful will abound in blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant. So that means I can serve God faithfully. I can serve at my post faithfully. And the Bible says the faithful will abound in blessing. 
Just because I'm blessed in my faithfulness doesn't mean I'm operating with wisdom. One of the craziest things that has come to me, I've seen great men of God who are abounding in blessing, their ministry, their church, flourishing because of their faithfulness to God. And yet they are estranged from, they've lost there because they weren't operating in wisdom. Foolishness will punish you even though faithfulness rewards you. And you, and you don't discern because you're faithful and you're abounding and blessing, but you don't understand where you're getting your kicked over here. It's because you're a fool. What is foolishness? Foolishness is erring from the word of God. The word of God is wisdom. There's not one word of God that is foolish. Every word of God drips with wisdom. When we hear the word, receive the word, and apply the word, you are a wise man. You're a wise man, hearing these sayings of mine and doing them. The fool hears and doesn't do them. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but you know what? At Harvard, they teach. Well, I just believe, well, my daddy said, well, no, no, wisdom is congruency with the word of God. Wisdom is congruency. I've seen, I'm dealing with another situation at the moment where somebody has incredible blessing incredible blessing their ministry faithful all over the world worldwide ministry and yet was foolish with family foolish with got saved in but never allowed himself to be saved from and brought the same dysfunctions so now the the family, everything else. I, I'm trying to be careful with my words because I don't want to, in case it goes out. But So that means that you can be abounding in blessing because of your faithfulness, but having your butt handed to you on a platter because you're foolish. Be wise. Operate wisely. Number five, hospitality. He must enjoy having people in his home. If I was really honest with you, for the early years of ministry, um, I had to learn the, the nuance. I would invite the wrong people into our house or I would just get so overwhelmed that I didn't want anybody in my house. My house was my retreat. And what do you mean, Leanne, you're organizing a dinner? Why would you have people over for dinner? Don't you realize the house is my sanctuary? It's my retreat. I give myself in ministry all week. I'm with people all day. And now I come home and you've invited people over for a party. And then she says, yeah, because I need it. And we need to have friends. And I realized I wasn't a pack mule, I wasn't an ox, I wasn't a, a, you know, just a, well, I probably was a stupid jackass donkey. But, but I realized I needed fellowship. Uh, I remember when we, we lived in New Zealand, there was a, we were always changing direction. About every six months, whichever, when the wind changed direction, we were running in a different direction with the vision of the church. And there was a, the wind changed, that little rooster on the turn that way. And we decided we're going to be doing discipleship. Discipleship was the key. So we did discipleship in a classroom. And so we're all sitting there ready to be discipled. And discipleship was two hours of us listening to the pastor unpack from the Bible, sitting there in a classroom. And, uh, and I just thought, ah, I'm just not sure if this is discipleship. 
But I've actually found that hospitality is the most powerful way. Jesus did nearly all of his great teaching and his great discipling around the table. There's something about the bread and there's something about the wine. There's something about hospitality. There's something about the table. There's something about having people in your home. There is no substitute. Now, can I just say this, that um, when we're in New Zealand, there was a, a, a guy who was demonized with a religious spirit. Oh, man, I used to love it. He'd, he'd be out in the surf and I could see he'd paddle this way and then the waves would come in where we were sitting. And then he'd paddle over this way and the waves would come in where he, and I could see him getting angrier and angrier. And I'd yell out, Chris, you doing all right? He goes, yes! Jesus is still on the throne, isn't he? I'm like, well, that's about a nine on the tension scale there, Rube. And, uh, but th this guy, this, he, he was a mess on legs. And I remember Monday morning, Monday morning. So, you know, I'm out six nights a week. Monday morning. And Leah's like, oh, what time is it? I'm like, oh, it's like 10 to 7. Did you organize? I didn't organize it. Who the hell's at our door, Marlon? So I walk out and it's him. And he goes, yeah, I heard Monday's your day off. Just thought I'd come and have a cup of tea. I'm like, Chris, it's a Monday. I'm like, yeah. And he, he kind of wanted to make a, like you're meant to be a pastor and you're meant, your home's meant to be open all hours, anytime for anyone. And so, you know, it, it kind of threw me. I'm just a young pastor. And then Jesus had to, had to tell, because I invited him and made him a cup of tea. I felt guilty. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh. And, uh, and then Jesus said, I lay my life down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. If people are taking life from you, they're not welcome in your home. If people are taking life from you, they're not to sit at your table. You bring to your table people you are willing to lay your life down. And people need to respect. In New Zealand, um, Pastor Andre, in New Zealand, the, the Maori culture is so strong that if you walk into someone's house with shoes on, it's a dishonor. You dishonor the house. They, they, they say the removal of, of sandals, jandals, sh shoes, whatever, is, is showing honor and respect to the, the person of the house. So, so there's already a culture there that they know that when you go into a house, you go into that house and you honor that house. If Andre and Sean have people over and people come in and they just expect this and expect that and take from this, there's something wrong. They should honor and respect. You should always enter, always have people. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get it right every time, but it's a really good litmus test because if they can't honor you, your time, what you present, what you put on the table, the fact that you welcome them into your world, if they can't respect that, then you realize, wow, you're just not ready for leadership yet. I think it's the greatest litmus test. Must have people in their home. How are we going? Is that number five? Number six, don't drink too much wine. <clears throat> Which means God is their go-to. I want you to notice it doesn't say, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't say they don't drink wine. Did you notice that? Here, let me find. It says, um, he must enjoy having guests and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker. Verse 3, he must not be a heavy drinker. 
And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say he must not be a drinker. It says he must not be a heavy drinker. And the Holy Spirit said, what's the difference between a drinker and a heavy drinker? A heavy drinker is somebody God isn't their go-to in crises. God isn't their go-to in trouble. The bottle is. And, and the truth is, you, 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 drink some, you drink a glass of wine. That's nah, still water. Um, you drink a glass. I thought I'd give it a shot. You, <laughs> you drink, <laughs> if you, you, you drink a glass of wine, you, it, it relaxes you. You feel good. A second glass, you're kind of thinking. But if it's like, ah, oh, man, this thing, I probably should pray, but it's just easier to. Click, click, click. It's just easier to, and absolutely, it will numb you. It will inebriate you. It will, for whatever reason, you'll, you'll feel good. It doesn't change the problem. So Paul, Paul writes here, mustn't be a heavy drinker. In other words, hey, keep wine in its place. If, if you're using alcohol or substances to medicate pressure, medicate storms, medicate stress and distress, it's misplaced. That's not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is you go to God with your stress. You go to God with your disappointments. You go to God with your pain. You go to God. Is he your refuge? Psalm 91 verse 2 says, The Lord is my refuge, my fortress, my shield, my strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And the last one, I think I lied. I think I said six. I had seven. Uh, it says, the last one is private and personal fruit. Private and personal fruit. Watch this. He says, um, and he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For a man, If a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? The first test is your own home. The first culture of the kingdom is established in your own home. Children that are thriving, children that are flourishing. When I look at the Johnsons, I know that I can trust the Johnsons with our family because whether it's Ella, whether it's Champ, whether it's Victory Caleb, when you look at those kids, they are thriving. They are flourishing. They haven't just been coached well, they've been parented well. I couldn't think of anybody better to put over our children's ministry than these people. Couldn't think of anybody better to, to win on the Encinitas school board than, than this, this great, great man of God. First test is your, your family, and you never graduate from it. Nothing will break your heart like your family. Nothing will, nothing will, because they, they have little wills and they make decisions. Nothing will keep you in prayer like your family. When, uh, when I started in ministry, there was an Assemblies of God prophecy that would go around that, that I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't receive it and don't ever give it. And it went like this. It went, if you build God's house, you know, he'll build your house, which I agree. And then it went like this. And if you take care of God's family, he'll take care of your family. And I literally saw pastors. And it was like it was a, a great manipulation to get people out six nights a week 
neglecting their marriages, neglecting their children, neglecting their parenting so they could put in those hours instead to, to build the church because the pastor had an ego that, you know, he wanted to have a big church and be successful. And, uh, and God says, nowhere did I say, hey, I'm going to give you children, but pff, you don't need to, I'll be responsible for them. No, no, God gave you children for you to be responsible. You're a steward. He's looking for stewardship. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I'm over time again. I apologize, but I did get through seven points. <laughs> Come on, who received something today? Come on, lift your hands high. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that he who aspires to position in the house of God desires an honorable thing. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that this is a house of honor. Father, I thank you for, for these men and women of God, and I thank you for the power of God, the anointing of God. We thank you for biblical leadership, that the, the house of God is awesome. The house of God is something that people should aspire to. While your hands are lifted, let me just also say this. Uh, when, when people criticize and when people say stuff like, oh, they make so much effort. Like, did you see Cherish? Like all the ladies and all the dresses and all the different outfits. And Pastor Leanne had this awesome outfit and beautiful Katie had this outfit and Pastor Summer had this outfit and Pastor Stacy had this and Kayla had that and Becky had this. And, you know, why, why, why the emphases on, on these things? The reason that this is important is because... Samuel said to, to, or God said to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but I, the Lord, look at the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I, the Lord, look at the heart. The church isn't here to reach the Lord. The church is here because the Lord reached us. The church is here to reach man who looks on the outward appearance. And if they see the 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 church disheveled, backward, dressed like a bunch of daggy dorks that are, you know, wearing fashion that's five, ten years old, they're going to say, how do you have a, how can you proclaim that you have a current message when you're living in the past? The 80s called and they want their fashion, but I mean, it's like, so, so one of the reasons that we have excellence and one of the reasons that we don't apologize for that is because, hey, I know religious spirit, but we're not here to reach you. We're here to reach lost people who come in and they need a vision. They need a... So I, from the very onset, I, I was determined that people look to. Amen? Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.